all good, baby, baby. Uh, it was all so if you're ready to break the generational cycle of poverty, revolving prison doors, and a lack of education that's holding us all back, then now's the time to do something about it. So to move from gutter to greatness, it all begins with a change in mindset. Here's your host, Dr. Paul Miller. What's up, everybody? We're on another episode of G2G from the gutter to greatness. And we're here. The episode is called Killing Me Softly with his song. Because, you know, the music in today's days and times is killing me softly. The songs is killing me softly. The music, the, everything is just it's terrible in my eyes. However, I believe that it's also contributing to a lot of our downfalls and our failures, the way that the messages are putting into our young people's heads. So we're going to talk about it today. And we have a, a guest who's very informed. He's a professional comedian who's all over the country doing shows. He's also a former musician. He's a rapper, former rapper, and still very, very talented brother. We're going to let him talk about himself in a minute and introduce who he is, what he does, and why should anybody care? So, the Zach Johnson, can you tell us? Yes, who you are, what do you do, why should anyone care? As you just said, sir, I am the Zach Johnson. Not to be con confused with any other Zach Johnson, I am the Zach Johnson. Professional stand-up comic, damn near two decades, upstate New York's king of comedy, Netflix credit. Comedy Central credit, Heart of the City, Season 3, Episode 5. Just a regular dude that tells jokes for a living. That's it, man. Now, I remember the first time I saw you live, I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, this is about to be bad. This was a long, long time ago. Many, many years ago, I said, this is about to be bad. You know, he's not going to be funny. And you were actually pretty funny. And then I saw you years later, and I thought you were hilarious. So it was interesting that man, uh, you've known me since we was what? Twelve? How old were we? I, I don't know. Probably about that. Twelve, thirteen. Okay, years. so I've always had a sense of humor. So I don't know why you were going there thinking that it would be anything other than amazing, sir. Nah, the, you know, the first time I really just thought like, because comedy, I know is hard. Like I know it's I couldn't do it. It's actually a question. You got to learn how to do it. I don't care how funny a person is. You can't just willy-nilly get up there and do a efficient set that's worth listening to. You could be funny in spots, but you can't just for an hour straight just tear into the crowd. I don't care who no, you are. And I think it's a real skill. And I think it's so a, I had to a, learn how to do it. Outside of having natural ability, I had to learn and cultivate the skill and the art form. And see, me not knowing anything about it, and you know, just especially being someone who's known you for so long, I was just like, oh, he about to go up there. They about to throw things at him. I was like, they about to... They... You know, Dr. Miller, that was just you being a hater. No, that was everybody in the crowd, too. They were, We were all waiting for it. But I will say that... It was you, you did... being a hater. <laughs> you, did, you did a decent job. And I will say, years later, I've seen that growth and development and to where I believe, you know, that you are, are very funny and very skilled at what you do. So, you know, I got to give props where props is due. You you know, you do your thing. So, I'm the so long story you know, short. Hey, ain't nothing wrong with that. You know, you know, yeah, that's absolutely what we're here to talk about today. You know how everybody's gutted a greatness story. So uh, what 
we're here to talk about is that people usually transition and they transition their mindsets and they transition from where they're at to where they need to be. But then there's all these others who get stuck. But the people who are successful, they usually bring certain attributes to the table and they usually work on certain skills so that they don't remain stuck. And so, you know, I just want to hear about that today. Like, tell everybody your story. Like, where'd you start at? Life was like, you know, and, you know, whatever struggles and challenges you faced to get to where you are now, you know, and what did that look like for you? It was a windy day in the <laughs> summer of 77. Man, I ain't really went through that, that, that many struggles. I think most of my struggles came as an adult because I had a really good childhood. I was the only child. My formative years grew up in Seneca Manor in Rochester, New York. The Manor. Manor boys, uh, okay. We didn't really we was we didn't really struggle. My mom always had a job. My my dad was always around. Like I don't really have that I grew up hard story. I don't I don't really have that story. I was just a I, I probably was spoiled to a degree which contributed to my entitlement, which is why I always moved the way that I moved. I didn't start struggling until I was an adult, man. When I was an adult, I still thought the stuff was sweet out here in the world and people owed me stuff. And I, I thought that things would come easy to me and I wasn't particularly prepared for the hardships that come with, with being an adult. And that's where my struggles came from. I've been homeless before, had money struggles before. I built up businesses, lost businesses, been to jail, pretty much everything outside of getting shot at. Nope. Pretty much outside of everything besides getting shot, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I just did it. Now, you know, like, let's explore that for a little bit. So what's interesting about that, as an adult, you had these struggles. You didn't face them as a youth. So so that, that struggle bust started later in life for you. But I think that happens. A lot of our brothers go through that. A lot of brothers, you know, don't, not everybody has a hard childhood. Not everybody has a messed up life. You happen to have a great life, and then you transitioned and you went through things. What do you think? Was oh, I messed it up good. Oh, oh, I well, messed it up good. Yeah. What, what was that plan supposed to be like for you? And why didn't you follow the plan? What, what was that plan look like? So you were leaving high school and you were getting ready to go out on your own. What were you supposed to supposed to in quotes be doing? What, what was that supposed to look uh, like? I was supposed to be going to college. I went, but I couldn't stop playing poker and tonk and socializing like I couldn't stop socializing and when you don't socialize when you don't stop socializing or you don't have that balance your grades suffer and you end up getting kicked out and that's right that's what happened so you get kicked out and then where do you go what do you do you start working where'd you work at uh my first job worth mentioning was actually in the Rochester City School District as a paraprofessional okay and then so probably, it probably wouldn't have hired me to do that because I'm probably two, three years older than the seniors in there. Like I like some of them grew up in the hood with me. Like I'm big bro. I'm damn near their peer. Now I gotta ask this, which is uh, were the uh, the young ladies trying to holler at uh at the hey, early look at age? Me. I'm gorgeous. <laughs> of course right, they were. So, so okay, so but I, but I, I, I the money more than anything that could have potentially happened with them. So, right. Yeah, we ain't, ain't going to be none of those stories of Mr. Johnson touched me. It's not going to be none of that. Bro. <laughs> I got to ask. I got to ask. Got to make sure. Uh, I, I, said, Yo, I, need job, I need this job. Get out my face. Right. 
so so where did where did you realize that it was real and that you know damn I done I'm messing up but what, what did that look like probably when I was 22 and got kicked out of my apartment that was bad that was because I, I I couldn't pay the rent that was what'd you do nigga I was homeless what you mean where'd you go <laughs> And homeboy did let me stay with him for a little bit till I got myself together, and then I went and stayed with my dad. And I was I stayed at my dad for years, so that it, it worked out. Did he still wear that some hat? Was have fathers. I didn't have that, so oh, no, no, that. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't have that. I always wanted a dad with the cowboy hat and, and, and cowboy hat boots and a big Lincoln. Yeah, I, I always wanted that. I never hey, had man. that. I didn't pick them. That's just the one I got. But yeah. if I could pick them, that's probably the one I would have picked still. No, nah, that's good stuff, though. So so what was the pivotal point in your life where you were able to shift from what was going on to moving towards, like, figuring it out? And, and what happened? It wasn't much of a pivotal point, man. It was just a bunch of baby steps. It, it wasn't, no, I didn't have this moment where I got into a car accident and was like, oh my God, I got to get myself together. Like I just kept trying little things and taking baby steps and making improvements on myself that led me to be the success that I am today, ladies and gentlemen. I had a car lot. So when I started the car lot, that money back then, that was like drug money. It was so lucrative back then. And that changed my life. Right. That put me in a position to be able to afford things that I wanted. That's when I bought my first house. Uh, but then still being entitled and, and neglecting stuff, I didn't pay my sales tax. So then the business closed down. So you go from making 120000 a year as a 28-year-old, 29, 30-year-old to $0. So then what you call I the lost government? my job. You thought the government wasn't coming for you? It ain't a matter of not coming for me. As a 28-year-old that never had a business, never consulted with anybody that had a business, at what point do you think, I got to get these people this money? <laughs> like, they don't ask for it. And when they ask for it, it's too late. Like, they don't come knock on your door quarterly. They don't come bi-yearly. They don't come uh, every six months. They let it build up. And after about four or five years, it was like, all right, man, this business has been doing about a million, two million a year for five years. That's 10 million at 8%. That's 800,000. Yeah, you owe us about 1.3 million. How do you want to pay, sir? Cash or card? And I was like, what? Right. You're crazy. But you of know what? I, I think the, the important piece out there, because I'm sure there's other people who are going through it and don't realize that. Also, because if you did and you're, you, you know, you've always been a smart dude and you've always been super intelligent, but you also like to do things the way you want to do them. So I get it. And so, you know, you were doing you, you were making money. And then all of a sudden the government IRS comes knocking at your door. It wasn't but, the IRS. It was the Department of Taxation, New York State Department of Taxation and Finance. It wasn't the IRS. All right, well, good thing it wasn't the feds. Because <laughs> then it was. It was so I'm saying. When you own, yeah. right? But I think the important part is there if people who are listening, you know what? If you do have businesses, look, listen for the resources, reach out to resources, but also people need to reach back to other people. Somebody should have told you that. Somebody who was older than you, somebody who knows, somebody who's experienced should have told you that. They should have hollered at you. But I bet you knowing you, they did. And you was like, nah, I'm good. Nope. I didn't know anybody. I mean, what think about the business owners that we knew? I'm trying to think of 
the people in our lives that had businesses. Like growing up in the 80s and 90s, our parents, did your mother ever talk to you about entrepreneurship? Nah, heck nah. I didn't either. I just kind of nah. stumbled into it. Right. I didn't have a clue. Like I had no idea. And, you know, and I really, you know, even now as an adult, I probably really just started to figure things out where I'm making significant money the last three or four years, you know, and, you and that's damn near 50. Look how right. long it took. Right. You know, and I've always done OK or done. But from the business side of things, I didn't really start making money until about the last three or four years. And so that's but it took so long to figure it out because I didn't have a lot of that guidance. So I do understand that. I did pay my taxes <laughs> from, from the start. How you to pay your taxes? They take it right out your check. No, no, I'm saying from a business. I've, been, I've had a business now since about, since about probably 2012. Maybe so you're 2012. talking about consulting and, and the books and... Yeah, like I've done all of that for, for some time. And I've, you know, I didn't have, a, I didn't do a lot in business before that. And now, you know, it's, it's just been a progress. It's been a learning process of trying to figure it out. And how do I actually get to a place where I'm making good money from it, but also taking care of like, so even for example, like I have my business, but my business pays for almost all my expenses. I also have a non-profit agency. So the taxes, instead of paying the federal and state taxes, hey. this is legal. I'm good. What I'm telling and I'm telling putting people on the game is I donate the money to the non-for-profit who's really doing non-for-profit things and really doing the work. So I donate that money back to the agency. And so, you know what, that reduces my personal liability, but it's going towards instead of paying the feds, I'm paying something that is a legitimate non-for-profit agency. And so, you know, but I didn't realize that or know that for years. But people have been doing these things, especially white folks been doing these things for a long time. And yes, we didn't have been doing them for a long time. <laughs> you know, hey, part of me, I guess, knew about it, but the other part didn't know about it, man. But so why the changes? Why did you start to change and why did you start to progress differently? Why did you start to move differently? What did that process look like? Like I said, it was a slow process and it needed to be done because if not, I would probably either be in somebody's graveyard or somebody's penitentiary. When you don't have resources, you start to get desperate and you will do desperate things. You'll sell drugs, you'll sell your body, you'll sell your food stamps. And if anyone is selling food stamps, I'm paying 50 cent on the dollar. <laughs> you just got to you, you gotta figure it out, man. Like you said, I've always been a smart dude. I knew what I needed to do. It's just a matter of applying that metric to my life. Right. But was there any one person or was there any one moment that might have like really hit home like damn i gotta do this different like you know i know nah, this was a bunch of moments it's losing the apartment having my daughter having my son losing my house starting to do comedy losing my business it, it, it's just been a bunch of moments moving to new york city moving to virginia moving to charlotte moving back to rochester being homeless like it's been a bunch of moments, man. There's no one moment that I could point to to define that, that that was my aha moment. It's just been a bunch of small things that led me to where I'm at. But you got it. So it might have taken a few coconuts over the head, but, you know, the right one dropped and you started felt, to get it. felt like cinder blocks over the head. It felt, felt like an acne anvil over the head. It, it, took, it took a lot to get there. 
so, so even that journey through comedy, you know, because I'm sure a lot of people just think that it, you know, if you're funny, like you said, you know, like I've you've always been funny or rather humorous, and so you probably thought it was going to be this easy transition. And oh, I'm just going to get on stage. Famous by now, but it doesn't doesn't work like that. How does it's, it's it work? What people think. I believe it. I, I don't think I could do it. I don't think that, it, you know, I'm built for that. So nah, you, you stutter too much. No. Nah, yeah. I don't, I don't think I'll do a good job at, at the comedy, you know, but I do speak in front of large crowds in front of hey, man, hundreds of thousands. Hey, you know, you so know, I, and you could, what I, I did always want how to do it. I wanted you to teach me how to rap. I never, I never knew how to rap. And I, I always wanted to know, and I always secretly wanted you to teach me. And okay, I can do it. It's too late to start rapping. You're almost 50. Let's throw the rap thing out of the window. You still. Hey, hey listen, I don't want to get on stage. I just always, it was, I was always. You to studio? I just want to go. Yeah, I just want to go in the studio. I just want to, I want to have. Leave it alone. No. I just let your, son, drop let your son and your daughter rap. Let them rap. You don't leave it. first. No. Come on, man. What do you think? You think I can? You learn? don't want to be sixteen. You don't want that. You don't. Is I got one or two under the top. Under the like what you going to rap about? Like the from gutter to greatness, tired yeah, of the famous. You know, I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm sure there's something to come to me, but I've always that's no, always been a little secret, secret behind the scenes that I've always wanted to uh, a little bit. I've always wanted to learn. And hey, I yo, like, what, what would your rap name have been? I don't know, man. I don't think I, I don't even have a good rap name. So I don't know. That's the part of the problem. I, I never even thought that far because I didn't ever. Think about How about the doctor? You know, Dr. Love. Oh, we, already had, we already had a DOC. Now I like the yeah. doctor. You know, something, man. But so you don't think we can work on that? So if, if anybody, no, uh, I mean, you let me, you let me listen, know, man. you my boy, but I hate to squander my time. However, right. time is valuable. Hey, you cut that check, and I'll teach a monkey how to rap. So, whatever you got going on. What, what <laughs> so, got? as you were getting into comedy, though, right? So, you were getting into comedy. What was that journey like? What did that look like? Because I think that's important to the story, because now you're a successful comedian. You're doing shows on the regular, you know, and you have some decent credentials as well. And I know you're also probably looking for that next amazing break. I believe all comedians are, you know, when you are doing the large, large shows and the movies and all those other things, and I'm sure it's coming. But what was that journey like? It was a long, I'm sorry, not was, is a long and tough journey. Uh, I didn't have the regular comedy starting that a lot of comedians had. We're growing up in Rochester. We're in an area that's not saturated with a lot of comedy, especially urban or black comedy, we I didn't have anybody to look at me and assess me and be like, hey, man, you're funny. You know, you, you could probably make some money from this. You could probably do this. I had to figure it out on my own. So I started asking my friends, hey, man, who you who you think's your funniest friend? And they was like, you. And I was like, yeah, I already knew that. I just needed that, that little right. bit of reassurance. So I started going to open mics. And instead of finding inspiration in a great comic, I found inspiration in a slew of bad comics. I started going to open mics. Them dudes was terrible. And I was like, yo, there's no way I can do worse than that. And that was my motivation to get on stage. October 15, 2008. First time I got on stage at the comedy club in Webster in Rochester. So 
that was my first time getting on stage. As an opening comic, you're supposed to do maybe five to seven minutes. I told two people I was going to do it. 22 people showed up. Hawk was out there with a camcorder and they was recording it. And I ended up doing 17 minutes, which is a really long time for somebody's first time on stage. Yeah. Like it's really long. And after that, as Rakim would say, I, I was a microphone fiend. Did it ever go real bad? What was the worst experience at a show? It could go bad. It could go bad tonight. How'd you recover? Like, what? give me one that went bad. What happened? Brush it off. Okay, so the first time, so I started on what's called the mainstream side of comedy, which is generally a predominantly white audience. And white people, they're very patient with the joke. They sit there, they enjoy the setup, they wait for a, I'm trying not to curse, but they wait for a, a half-ass punchline. Like, it, it, it don't even... Sometimes in black comedy, if the punch, if the setup too long and the punchline don't really hit, they look like, yo, you made us wait for that. Boo! We hate you! Boo! But white people are way more patient. And if they don't like it, they'll just sit there quietly and they, they just, they very patient. So that was how my early, my formative years in comedy were. So I thought I was the GOAT. I said, I'm going to be rich in a year. There's no way that I'm not. I'm killing these crowds. I'm going to just be rich in a year. Then I went and did my first urban comedy night. And that was in Toronto at Yuck Yucks. They do it once a month. And it's called the Disciples of Prior, the Nubian show. You got all types of black in there. You got Jamaicans, Haitians, Africans, regular black, light-skinned, dark-skinned. You got just a gumbo of us in the room. And that was the first black crowd I did. And a comedian went on stage. He was in front of me. And when I tell you, he was killing the crowd he was tearing the paint off the walls like he was ripping the shingles off the wall african comedian named arthur simeon he was i mean the room was shaking and i get on stage i'm just i'm playing around i'm improving. i'm riffing with the crowd and then i go into my first joke and it just didn't land and so i was it's like being a boxer and you throw a punch and you hit hit the audience you hit your opponent and he just look at you. He's just he just shake it off. It's, it's that yeah. type of experience. Like imagine you go in a fight and you hit somebody with all you have, and they go like, "Is that all you got?" And you shook up on the inside a little bit. But I didn't let it affect me. I went on to my next joke. That one didn't hit either. And then all of a sudden, I heard somebody in the back go, "Boo!" <laughs> like it wasn't even loud. It was just like a. It was like he was looking in his phone. He was like, "All right, I'm tired of this." He was like, "Boo!" And then you hear another one over here and then another one over here and another one. And then the people on this side of the room was like, oh, we could boo. And then they just kind of got together in a, in a like a little boo rendition and they all started booing. And that was the first time I got booed. So I didn't really know what to do. I Like when you when you get booed, it's time to wrap it up. Yeah. Put the mic in the stadium, walk off. And I'm still up there trying to fight. I'm. It was bad. DJ started scratching over me. I think they cut the mic off. They turned the music on while I was still talking. It was bad, man. It was bad. Then the host came up. The host got on me. It was like, I was like, yo, I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's get out of here because ain't no need to stay. Stay for what? I might have to fight somebody after this. So that was the first time that it really, really went bad. But you could have, like, that was like two months in. You could have quit after that. And the fact that you didn't, 
you know, that says a lot. And that's that makes the difference of people who are successful and people who aren't is but that point, you, you, uh, you went back into it. it me. I didn't think it was me. I was like, it's something wrong with them. That's why that's why I didn't quit. Oh, <laughs> like, man. Stupid Canadians. They don't understand comedy. Nah, it wasn't. Nah. I actually saw the, saw the set like maybe a couple months later as, and as you start to grow. And then I seen it a couple of years later and I was like, yo, that was trash. I was like, I would have booed me too. Yeah. But the, again, you held on. You know, you yeah, held on. I, I had no accountability. I was like, nah, it wasn't me. It was them. It was 100% them. All right, for the people listening, accountability is big, though. Accountability is what helps you get it sooner. And if this brother would have taken accountability sooner, he would probably have progressed even faster than he has. And so that's, that's not that's true either. Even though I didn't take accountability, I kept working on my craft. So right. whether I thought it was me, whether I thought it was them, it didn't matter to me because I thought it was them. Like, I was like, I'm killing in America. And then I come up here and do bad. I was like, it's not me, guys. You just got you just got to catch up. I don't talk fast. You listen slow. It's not me. And so I kept doing what I was doing. I doubled down on the mics that I went to. I started producing my own shows. And that's what really excelled me in comedy. Because when you produce your own shows, other comedians, they look at you as a boss now. I, don't, I didn't come in as anybody's underling. I didn't come in as anybody's son or anybody's little man. When I call your phone, they know I'm not calling the chit chat. They answer on the second ring because they know it's about some money coming out of town to do a show that they are going to get compensated for amazingly. So I started doing shows at the Water Street Music Hall about five or six months in to start my comedy journey because I noticed that there was a void for urban comedy in Rochester. We had like one comedy club and then we had maybe a bunch of open mics, but my show wasn't an open mic. It was a professional comedy show that you could come to. And the first one I had was March 15th, 2009, and it probably had maybe 500 people there. Right. And did that one work out as successful as you thought it would? That one was amazing. It turned out great. I started doing that show once a month in Rochester. And for a very long time, that show paid all my bills for the month. You think if you got three, 400 people and you're charging $15, you're going to make between $4,500 and $6,000 after you pay for the comedians, the DJ, the radio, posters, flyers, tickets, security, the venue, you walk away with roughly three grand. And that was enough to take care of everything back then. Right. You, you know, and just thinking about all that, you know, you've progressed and you've gotten to a place. And but we all started in our places. And one of our foundations, one of my foundations has always been music. You know, just thinking about how music has influenced my life and you think about and, and not even that it's influenced it in certain ways, but at certain points in times, there's always something that I can identify, identify it back to a song. But I guess how has music influenced your life and how has it changed since you grew up and how do you feel about the music now? That was a loaded question, sir. We'll unpack no. this by bit. It's influenced my life because I used to be a rapper, like you said, so Writing a rap and writing, writing a bar for rap and writing a joke is pretty much the same. For instance, if you're a punchline rapper, that's the type of rapper that when you rap and you get to that last line and the beat drops and you say something and the crowd goes, oh, that's the same thing as a comedian writing a joke. You write this, 
the premise, the setup. The setup is two sentences, and then you hit the punchline. And unlike rap, instead of them going, oh, a laugh. Like, you literally are engineering laughter. So the method to creating it was essentially the same. And then it took me a little while to figure that out. But once you figure that out and you get a good formula with it, it becomes so much easier. Now, the influence that it has on you, how has that really affected you as far as your life? You know, how's like, I know for me, I remember the first song that I really fell in love with hip hop was I Need Love by LL Cool J. That was the first song, like I remember, you know, and I was probably 87, 88. And I remember one, the album. And so I got the album. Then, you know, I wasn't even expecting that song. And then I heard it and I never stopped listening. But it resonated with me because I think a lot of things that I was missing, this hey, song hey, kind of. Hey, drop that, that first line, of course. Drop that well, first line from the love. When I'm alone in my room, sometimes I stare at the wall. And in the back of my mind, I hear my conscience call telling me I need a girl who's as sweet as a dove. For the first time in my life. I see I need love. Yeah. Right. That's the joint. Was there a song that influenced you enough to like where, where you fell in love no, with him? It was it was a collection of music because I had older cousins from Fight Village and Fight Village, and in the Ville, hip hop was the culture, and they had me listening to a whole bunch of stuff. So I was listening to rap way before I, I knew about LL. I was listening to like my catalog of music in my head or stuff that I know about is just so it is crazy. We I was listening to Sugar Hill because they about they're probably seven to ten years older than me. So I was listening to Sugar Hill, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, um the Cold Crush Brothers, Run DMC, Fat Boys, Schooly D, Spoonie G, whatever they was listening to. That's what I was listening to. And I used to steal their tapes and take it home and listen to it on my own. They used to get like mixtapes from New York City and right. whatever they had. Hey, I'm going to have it too. So how has it changed now from the music that you and I grew up on? What do you think about today's music and how do you feel about that? I think today's music has its place. Just as we sit here and judge the music now, there was people, our, our parents sat there and judged our music. I remember I was listening to Public Enemy and my mom came in the house. She took the tape. She tried to break it because she wasn't strong enough. <laughs> so she just pulled like, the tape out. It's hard to break a tape. You can't just willy nilly break a tape. You ain't got that type of upper body strength. It was funny watching her trying to break it. And I was like, what is she doing? <laughs> and then she pulled it out. And I was like, oh, and she kept pulling out, then she threw it in the garbage. She's like, I told you don't get that tape because back in the day, I don't know if they still do it, but the tapes used to come with the parental advisory sticker. So anything that had the parental advisory sticker on it, she was like, nah, not in this house, bro. So just as we're judging the music now, our parents used to judge the music then. Like we've been listening to crazy, salacious stuff back then. I mean, if you think about it, like as you sit here and judge, what's one of the newest most outlandish lyrics that you can recall from a song recently. Nah, you, you know, and I know you're going to make a comparison and there's things just as bad. So if you think of Pound Town, Pound Town, my booty hole is brown or whatever she says. <laughs> like, and your boy just, was talking about pop that hoochie mama. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I don't disagree with that. But that's and part of it. song called, I don't even think, I don't even know if I can say the name of it. What is it? Yeah, use the appropriate. 
appropriate terminology is the made for tv terminology it's the world's biggest yeah penis. Penis. yeah okay so they got a song titled that one of their courses when it's the world's biggest it don't matter just don't like come on man we've been listening to crazy stuff for a long time even before ice tea right like i listen to all of that so music has been salacious for a very long time but you know what and i think that's part of the problem even with our generation and so even and so i guess that comparison isn't fair but now i still love it right and i still respect it but at the same time, I think about it, and a lot of times our young people can't s separate the fantasy from reality. And so the fantasy for reality and their parents and the, the people around them don't do a good job. So, again, hypothetically, think about okay, somebody. So is that on the music or is that on the parents? Both. You know what? Because so you know that we just said the music has always been around. So how is it both? Like you grew up listening to W.A. Have you ever wanted to assault a law enforcement? Probably. Have you done it? No. Exactly. No. There are things that, you know, that you, we would do or have done and it was fueled by it. So it built a mentality, it built a thought process. Like, you know, I was always a mob deep fan and, you know, or, or just some of the, the drug tales and some of the other things that, I became fascinated by and then dibbled and dabbled in, but I had the music that was like supporting those thoughts. So they say you, your thoughts are things, right? And so your thoughts become your reality. The way you think is the way you act. The way you act is what you attract. So if I'm putting these earphones in and I'm locked in and I'm constantly hearing this message and then I'm constantly, if I don't have the ability to decipher or the will to decipher, and then I go and enact it, it would be a lot better if there was a different message that I was receiving. Now, you know, and you, you, it's also about, can you break it down? Can you decipher it? Do you know the fantasy of reality of it? But so many of our kids don't. That, sir, is where accountability comes into play, as you just said, because you could have listened to Mob Deep or you could have listened to Common. You made a decision and you chose what you wanted to intake. As far as your thoughts becoming a reality and you listening to the music and that being your hype man, I wanted to be after listening to a lot of stuff and it ain't even really that after watching a lot of movies, just taking into that content period. I thought I wanted to be the biggest drug dealer in the world. Like I, I wanted to sell some dope. I wanted to get out here and mess up the community, but yeah. Yeah. common sense or having what's called going home sense led me to, to be like, you know what, that's this probably not going to work because you're going to tell on a bunch of people and you're going to end up shanked in prison somewhere. So that, that wasn't an option. So it don't matter what I was consuming. It don't matter because before in WA, there was Scarface, not the rapper Scarface, the movie Scarface. Well, absolutely. Scarface was so influential. And that's it. Everybody in the urban community wanted to be Scarface. Everybody had a poster of Scarface. Everybody wanted Scarface life. Or even go back, you think about like, or wanted to be a pimp. You know, Brown. Like, yeah. you had the Goodfellas. You had the Godfather. You have always had a criminal influence in America. It's up to you, like you said, to decipher whether you want to do it or whether you don't want to do it. So you got to take accountability. But think about it. So when your life is already tough and you don't have many options, and so you 
or you feel like you don't have many options, think about all of a lot of the youth out there who are currently now they're dibbling and dabbling in these options. And it's fueled by, you know, what they're listening to, whether it's fueled by, you know, like, I guess the, the drill rap or right or, or whatever that the Chicago's thing, you know, that they're, they're fueled by and they're, they're kind of like emulating what they're hearing. Now they could, like you said, they could choose to do something else, but they're choosing to emulate what they're listening to when the people who are actually creating it aren't even living that life or not anymore. I don't think that, I just don't think that the music is that much of an influence. I think that the fact that you could go to your older brother and he, you have access to drugs and you got easy access to guns, or you can go to a friend and you can get those things. I think that's the influence. I think your peer group who you hang with is way more of an influence. Sometimes your parents. Yeah, but I come think on, that's have you ever influence than a song? Did you play basketball because of any certain person or wanted to play like? I know when I played, you know, I loved Mike. You know, I knew I was never going to be Mike, but I always, in my head, I always wanted to be. I played because I loved what he could do and I always had a fantasy of wanting to, you know, in my heart of hearts, wanted to be Mike. You know, I did play because of a certain person or a thing. I played, I started playing basketball before I started watching basketball. Like, like I said, my older cousins was playing at Baden Street and I just wanted to be a part of it. So I, I started playing. I learned the rules and then I started watching basketball. Like I, I was I was playing before I started watching. But see, you've always had a strong will. And so your strong will has led you to do what you want to do when you want to do it. There are others who are very easily influenced by their circumstances and so when the circumstances perpetuated, it changes or enables what they do i think that it enables what they do but to be clear people know at the age of 12 you know right from wrong and you made a conscious decision to get this eight ball from your cousin break it down into dimes and you know where to go to get rid of it and it didn't happen because you was listening to my deep or some drill rap. You had people in your circle that influenced you, that you seen the things that they had, you seen the life that they were living, and you made a conscious decision to say, I want that. How can I get that? They didn't get in trouble. I'm probably not going to get in trouble. I want in. It, I just don't think that it's the music that is the fuel. But when you go to a school, right, and I, and I go to schools and I talk to kids, and 90% of them in the room, let's say even more than that, they either want to be one of two things, a rapper or a basketball player. Now, never rapped a day in their life, and most and 99% of them can't hoop either, but want to be a rapper or NBA player. Why? So if you don't believe that influence is real, people look I don't up... Influence is as you say it is. I, it's, definitely, it's definitely real. I just don't believe that it's a force. Like, But think about it. When you're in the, so, think so think about this. Here's the thing. They look at that as being success. They see the cars, they see the women, they see the money. If more doctors and lawyers started hanging around, then they would probably want to be doctors and lawyers. So all you doctors and lawyers need to take your butts to the school and be like, yo, this right here, this $2 million house, yeah, I got that because I went and got an education and I walk in this courthouse every day and I fight for justice or I walk in this courthouse every day and I keep scumbags on the street. Like whatever the case may be, like we need more positive representation just just around 
<laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's part of the problem. There's not enough resources, not of that. So when we grew up, what we saw was the dope dealers. We saw first, and then you look on TV and you see rappers and athletes. Right. And so then you want to emulate what you're seeing. And then I'm going to argue that when you go and listen to music, it supports it. So it's like it's like this triangulation of, OK, so you already got these influences and then you're you have this extra support that's now lifting you up. Think about it. When when you go to play a game or you go to play in a sport, whether it's football, basketball, whatever it is, most a lot of athletes will listen to a song to get hyped. They'll listen to music to get hyped, to get ready, to get prepared because it's feeding their spirit, feeding their soul. And then they're ready. Like they'll tell you even before you go on and, and speak, you know, listen to whatever gets you hyped so you can be ready when you go out and speak. Like there is like. That's what they tell you? Yeah, I'm telling you. That, that's, listen, I just I don't listen. You might never. Not, but again, it moves and motivates the crowd. Like, and that's the thing is that how do we get people to realize that, and again, I get your argument makes sense. And I do think it's up to the individual to make the choice. But how do we get say, I think that it's more of your surroundings and your peer group, the people that you talk to, the people that you see value in what they say determines what you're going to do. Like your network will determine your net worth. I oh, think absolutely. that if these kids were hanging around a bunch of millionaires, they would figure out how to do crypto. They would figure out how to do real estate. They would figure out how to be a mechanic. They would figure out how to be a doctor. Like they will go to school and take those steps to do what they need to do so they can have the big house, the big cars, the jewelry, like all of that. But unfortunately, the only way we see it is with music, with entertainment and sports. So what do you think needs to, is there anything you need to change about the culture of hip hop? And, you know, where did those changes start? Where could they start? If they were going to change, if you was going to change it, it should have started a long time ago, but it didn't. So we're here now. Right. If, if you can change it now, there is, I don't see a way to change it. Like you could start making, you could ban something that's pink in your booty hole brown. Like you could ban it. You could take it off the radio. You could right. take it off the internet. You could do all that stuff, but people going to find a way to listen to it. They, they're they going to find a way. It's going to be underground mixtapes. It's going to be underground streams. They're going right. to find a way to get that out to the people. And then you could just say, if it's on the radio, if it's on television, if it's on online, it can only be positive. It could be a whole bunch of Talib Kweli and Chance the Rapper. And it can just be a whole bunch of positive stuff. It's not going to move the needle. People are going to listen to what they want to listen to. Period. I agree because I don't want to listen to them dudes. Like they don't, they don't interest me. So I, listen, you know, I'm not- I just got to be in the mood for it. It's like I deal with music like food. Like whatever I have a taste for, that's what I'm gonna indulge in. Some days I want to listen to Jay Z. Some days I want to listen to Rick Ross. Some days I want to listen to Common. Some days I want to listen to Diggable Planets. Some days I want to go old school and listen to LL Cool J, Run DMC, Biz Marky, Slick Rick, Dougie Fresh. MC Light, MC Shan, Boogie Down Productions. Like sometimes I want to listen to that. And then sometimes I want to listen to the locks. Like I listen to Common, talk about being positive and love. And then I listen to the locks sell drugs to everybody in Yonkers. Like it just, it depends on what I'm feeling like. Yeah. Then I think it comes down to the resources and it comes down to helping people understand the fantasy versus the reality of it. 
helping people to make a better decision and choose. Again, like you've pointed out, it's an individual choice and making the choices to not engage in what you listen to and just take it as entertainment, take it as value of what it is. Because like we're not going to stop listening to it, like you said, but taking it as value. All right, who, who's your top five dead or alive? You know, let's hear this. This should be interesting. Uh, it ain't going to be interesting. It's Jay-Z, Big, okay. Nas, Rosé, and Rapping Drake. I think Rapping Drake is a bad boy. You know, And then my honorable mention would be the Funk Dr. Spock. It'd be Redman. Redman stuff. So Jada doesn't make it in there? He gets an honorable mention. Jada's pretty tough. You know, what's interesting about that, Rosé, so that's the one person in there. Now, I love Rick Ross as like as an artist because he, he makes mu- music that I want to listen to. And he does a full album. He does songs. Like, he, Man. He, just, he knows how to and make money. Like, if I didn't know he was from Miami, I wouldn't think he was from Miami. He rapped. Uh, uh, like, he, he from Northeast. Uh, but he, he, like always, yes. he always gets missed, though. He never gets put in this conversation. He never Ever. Jay is probably, Jay is my favorite MC. I think he is the GOAT. But I probably listen to Rick Ross more. You know, Jay's evolution has disappointed me a little bit. And I know he's evolved and now he's this billionaire or whatever he is. And, you know, he, he is. But I, his evolution, I feel like, you know, he's gotten away from, you know, the music some. And I get it. He's evolved. He's a new person. He's what he's making billions. But also, you know, even from like, I didn't care for 444 all that much. It was okay. I you still want to listen to four again, bro. Listen, I still want a reasonable doubt. I, you know, my favorite album all, all time was Blueprint One. So that's my, my favorite album. album. Mine was Blueprint One. But you know what? And then Nas, his evolution, I hate his beat selection. It's really trash to me. And I feel you like gotta listen to it now, man. He went um, I can't even listen. I can't even listen to an album of Nas because of the beat. When was the last time he listened to a Nas song? The last album that he put out, I don't even remember the name of it. I skipped through it all because I couldn't take it. So you haven't, you haven't started listening to none of the King's diseases? I did a little bit, and I, I just couldn't get hooked on it. because of the I'm going to you some song. Because, nah, his beat selection is crazy these days. He got this kid he's working with called uh, Hit what's Boy. His name? Yeah, Hit Boy, but uh, that still is Fire. There's some tracks that are okay, but it's not classic Nas. Like, I still, maybe I'm relishing in... <laughs> Classic Nas. Like, I want, you know, I will want it was written. I want uh, Illmatic. Like, that's, that's, those are the, the only two that I really like. Wow. Like, those are like, you can't even compare to, to any other album. Just the beats, the rhymes, everything was crazy in those. And it was well, like, you you that raw prettiness. When you put out your first project, you've been waiting your entire life to put out this. Then by the time you put out your second, like you shot your load pretty much on your first project. When you put out your second project back in the day, it used to be 18 months later. Sometimes it just ain't as strong. You just sometimes you lose the passion like life happens. So you got to meet them where they at right now. Like you can't want old Nas. Old Nas is 25 years ago. You can't want old Nas. Old Nas is dead. I want but old Jay. I want old Nas. New Nas is fire. New but Jay. Jay- Fire. So you didn't like Jay Verse on God did. Yeah, that God did. Yeah, I did. That was the best verse I heard from Jay in a while. I know that was good. that was exceptional. He killed it. Nah, I was definitely feeling that. Sir, 
that's the most recent sighting that we have of Jay Z, and you said it was phenomenal. What else do you want? I, I guess you got a good point, and I'm not as going to. Would say, as Hove would say, what more can I say? No, he's he's one of my favorite top five as well. Maybe even top one. I think Biggie might have. All right, so I, I'd have to say Big is first, Jay is second. If I have to, Jada in there. Respectable. I have to put Jada in there. You know, I have to consider. I got to put the God in there, Rakim. Okay. And then if I have to pick a fifth, that's tough. No, it's not. It's a million MCs out there. I know. I'm thinking. I'm thinking off the top of my head. And I should have had this prepared. You going with Tupac? No, not at all. Snoop is probably top 50, maybe top 25 in there. Tupac is in there. You going with Luke? Kendrick? Maybe, maybe... Maybe ghost. I could I could live with that. Uh, maybe ghost. You know, like like ghost, just the storytelling. And you know, the Wu is probably my favorite group of all time. The Wu That's just, my favorite group of all time. So the, the Wu, you know, they just they, you know, there's just so many of them that unite to transform into this elevated Multiple. experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, before we wrap up, what is three things that you could give somebody if they wanted to duplicate and start to shift from their gutter to their greatness. Cause you done, you done dealt with the gutter. You're moving towards greatness. You are great. You know, if there had to be three things that you had to give somebody a shift that is going to help them focus and do things differently, what would it be? Your surroundings surround yourself with like-minded individuals. Don't surround yourself with people that could potentially kill your dream or people that think that your dream or your plan is too big. Cause I don't even believe in dreaming. Like it's, it's a plan, like put it in motion, put a deadline on it and put it in motion, make it a goal instead of a dream. And once you put a deadline on a dream, now it's a goal. So surround yourself with a whole bunch of people that are going to support that a whole bunch of people with different types of resources, people that are moving in the direction that you see yourself moving in because pretty much the world is your oyster. So surround yourself with those type of people. Surround yourself with positive people. Don't surround yourself with no energy drainers because that, that'll mess your day up. Like you could be having a good day and then somebody be like, hey man, guess what? Man, I done got arrested. They done towed the car, man. Baby mama tripping. You be like, bro, I was having a great day. Like, why are you pouring this on me? Like, why are you putting this on my plate? Like, I don't even, I don't even have time for this today. Like, I don't, I don't even feel like entertaining this today. So don't surround yourself with energy drainers and take accountability. You gotta hold yourself accountable. If you don't have the right or the will to hold yourself accountable, then get some people around you that's gonna hold you accountable. Like I hold all my friends accountable. If you, I, I got a friend that's about to drink and drive home. Hey, that's stupid. You could go to jail. It take one mistake for you to mess up your life. You make it a bad decision right now. And sometimes they don't want to hear that. I tell them when they drunk. I tell them when they sober up. Like yo, last night I should have took you home. That was stupid. I should have punched you in the face and took the keys and took you to the house. Like, that was dumb. I'm glad you made it home, but that was dumb. Any of my boys that don't see their kids, listen, you woke up today, man, send your son a text. You're probably not going to reply. Yo, holler at your son. You need to be in his life. Like, if you ain't going to hold yourself accountable, get some people around you that's going to hold you accountable. And try to change your mind state. Because maybe about 2018, 2019, I just started thinking more positive. If you start thinking more positive, you're going to attract positivity. 
anytime anybody asks me how's my day going, I always say amazing. I always say awesome. I always say great. And and I can see their face sometimes. Like they like how your day how's your day going? I'm like amazing. They like okay yeah hell yeah I want my day to be amazing. And, and once you start saying it, your words become power. It, it affects your mood. It just makes you feel better. So those are the three things that I got for you, man. Start to be positive, surround yourself with positivity, and either be accountable or get some people around you that's going to hold you accountable. I appreciate it. As we close out here, you know, we are got our mindfulness minute here, and it's all about, like my brother said, accountability. How do you hold yourself accountable to do something different? Your thoughts are things, the way you think is the way you act, the way you act is what you attract. I say that all the time. This is how you start to change. My brother has been through struggles. He's been through strife, but he has never stopped. He's never quit but he's always willing to put in the work. He was willing to put in the work to be successful, to be great. So if you are listening out there, you have the ability to be great too. You have to be willing to put in the work. You can't be great from your couch and think that you're going to automatically take this dream and it's going to become a reality. You have to have a plan and then you have to take this plan, put it into action and do it and do it over and again. And when it doesn't go well, or when you're at the comedy show and you get booed, you walk off. But guess what? You come back the next time and you do it again. Keep doing it and doing it and doing it until you get better at it, until you become great, until you get to a point where people all know your name, where they're calling for you, where they want you. And you can achieve that if you believe it. So until next time, we're now on, I think, like our 20-something episode of From the Gutter to Greatness. Keep tuning in. We're going to keep bringing you interesting people, interesting stories, and interesting avenues to move from your gutter to your greatness. That's it for today's episode. So head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing for a $25,000 private epic VIP day with Dr. Miller himself. Be sure to head on over to guttertogreatness.com and pick up a free copy of Dr. Miller's gift. And join us on the next episode.